So we have been looking at the theme over the last few weeks, and we're continuing right through into Easter, of no greater love. No greater love about the love of God and how we can know that, but also, and this is what I am really excited about, how we, as people who know that love, can introduce the love of Christ to others. And, and today's all about that, and last week was all about that with the Samaritan woman, no greater love. And what I want to do today is look at a, a really interesting passage in Acts chapter 26. What's happening here is the Apostle Paul, he's been in prison and he's standing before this guy called King Herod Agrippa, right? He's, he's not a really pleasant guy. None of the Herods really were. And this guy, King Herod Agrippa, he's saying, so what are you on about, Paul? And Paul stands up and he begins to give his explanation and his defense. I believe that even though Paul's call was a pretty extraordinary and unique one, like bringing the church to the Gentile world, that there are principles in there for each one of us. No matter what our call is, there's principles that we can apply. So we're going to have a look at Paul's call and we're going to look at four principles in that that apply to each one of us this morning. So let's read the passage and then we'll check out these wonderful things that can set us up to bring the love of Christ into other people's worlds. Acts 26 verse 12. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief, chief priests. Around noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Go, just quickly stop. What's a goad you're thinking? It's one of those, those sharp sticks that you use to make a bullock or a bull go in the direction you want it to go. So if you've ever heard the term, um, I was goading him on, right? Getting someone to do something they didn't want to do. And so here, God is goading Paul, and Paul doesn't want to do it. Let's keep going. Verse 15, then I asked, who are you, Lord? Right, he recognizes this as a Lord, but he's not quite sure which one it is. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now, here's the DNA for us, the principles. Get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. Who reckons that's a great chapter? How good is that? Let's pray. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would speak to each and every one of us this morning. Let us hear from you, we ask, that we may not be the same as we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we look at this, there's four things that I think we can learn, four principles for us. One is God's calling us to stand on our feet. 
Two, he has appointed us. Three, we have been rescued to be sent. Rescued to be sent. And four, we've been sent to open people's eyes and to turn them to God. All right? We're just going to make our way through this and apply it to our lives. So, first one is stand up on your feet. God said to him, now get up and stand on your feet. Now, what had just happened to Paul is this bright light had appeared around him. He was knocked to the ground, as was his companions, and he couldn't see. But rather than God saying, oh, Paul, are you okay? (laughs) He says, get up. Now, this is gentle Jesus, meek and mild, speaking to Paul. And you think, you know, what's going on? Don't you care? But sometimes the love of God is a love that is translated, get up. You know, I remember when I was a kid, I think I would have been maybe around eight at this point. And we're on a family holiday at a cousin's property, a place called Burua, out in the bush in New South Wales. And uh, I grew up a city kid, hadn't been on a horse before, and it was time for Pat to learn to ride a horse. Now, my mum, she's a country girl, so she had instigated this. And so uh, we go with the cousins. We're in this yard. They pick a horse. They, they help me to get up there. And as I'm riding on this horse, we went past one of the cousins, and for some reason the horse shied, bucked away. I'm off the saddle, and I'm on the ground. And mum comes up. Now, she's a nurse, very pragmatic, and she just has a quick look at me. goes, yeah, no breakages. We're all good. All right, back on the horse. I go, this is my mum. She's supposed to care for me back on the horse. And so I got up and I was a little bit surprised, I must admit, at the time. But you see, her love for me was, don't let this take you out. Don't let this define you. Don't let a setback be the thing that stops you from being who God created you to be or who life, uh, the opportunities that would open in, in life for you and to get back on that horse. And God does the same thing with us. See, we, we, can, we can think, when I've got it all together, then God can use me. When I'm through this, then, then maybe God can use me. When I've got this issue sorted out, then maybe when I know a bit more, then maybe if everything is then, and, and we can have all of these reasons for one day why we will be qualified for God to use us. And yet God knows exactly where we are now. He knows the stuff we've got a victory over, the stuff we're getting a victory over, the issues that are still on the landscape of our life. And He is saying, hey, stand up and even now be a part of the solution to someone. Right? Be a part of the solution to someone. I love this. This is one, I think, of the greatest things we can grab a hold of, that we we don't put a high demand on others to meet our needs. But what we do is look out for who can we help, who can we step into their life, who can we help with their need. And the amazing thing is this, that when we do that, strangely enough, the things that we need are met anyway. We're not looking for it. We're not requiring it. We're not putting a demand upon it. We're just getting on with being an answer to someone. And as we're an answer to someone, 
God becomes that answer in our world. It's, it's like uh, the, the prophet Isaiah. There was a time when God said, hey, who's going to go and who will I send? He didn't say what for. It was just like, a, who's going to be a part of the answer? And Isaiah goes, here I am, Lord, send me. When Peter saw Jesus walking on the water, he didn't need to know, okay, how's that work out? How do we overcome gravity? What's the 10 principles for walking in water? It's sort of like, I'm in. And it's, it's one of those attitudes. We haven't got it all worked out. Man, if I was waiting till I had it all sorted before I was a part of the answer to somebody, I'd still be at it. But I just figure, why don't I just say, God, you can use me now. God, I'm available now. God, there's some things that you've got in store for me and I am open to it now. Stand up on your feet. Second, we are appointed. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. Appointed. Do you know what that means? It's a beautiful, beautiful meaning. It means that we have been chosen for his use. I am looking today at people who have been chosen. He knows you. He knows the stuff, the challenges, the history, the right now, the setback, the disappointment. He knows the stuff, the gifts, the abilities, the weakness. And he says, I have chosen you for my use. You know what? There's not one person here today that he says, I've chosen the others, but not you. Our self-talk can be, well, Pat, if you knew my background, you'd know for me it's plan B. No, 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 plan A. Chosen for his use. To do what? And you might be thinking, gee, this sounds pretty darned awesome. Chosen to do what? Well, he says it right here. I've chosen you to be a oh, servant. That doesn't sound real exciting. Now, for Aussies, we sometimes get this a little bit mixed up. We think that service is lower. We think that servanthood is servile under someone's feet, somehow second rate. But in kingdom thinking, servant is as high as it gets. Indeed, if God wants to commend someone, he says, this is my servant. You read the Bible, you see, Moses, my servant. Don't mess with him. Abraham, my servant. David, my servant. Joshua my servant. So when we are called a servant of the living God, that's like, hey, the, this, is, this is crew who is a part of my royal household doing the purposes of the king. Don't mess with them. You and I have been chosen for his use to be a servant. And did you notice another word there? To be a servant and a witness. So what's that mean? A witness. I'm going to tell you a bit of a scary word that that word witness comes from. You might not want to be a witness when you hear the word. It comes from the Greek word martus, which sounds very much like martyr. And a martyr is just someone whose life is lived as a witness. Now, we think of it as the dying bit, but it's also the living bit. And, and, and so what is calling us to be... It is that our words and life 
will shine a light on our relationship with Jesus. Now, you know, I'm a really strong advocate for C3 College. I would, I'd pretty well say to anyone, it's going to do you good. And right now, here at Silverwater Hub, we've now got a C3 College campus. So I'm into it. But right now I'm going to say something that you do not need to go to C3 College to be a witness because if you have experienced forgiveness, you've got something to talk about. If you have experienced the hope that Jesus brings, then you've got something that other people need. If you've experienced the big questions of your life being answered, like where I come from and why am I here and 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 who am I, then you are a witness because he has given you something that you can tell someone up, some, someone else that will be an answer to their life. He's called us. He's chosen us for his use to be a witness. And, and where do we do that? Sometimes I've spoken to people over the years and they've said, you know, I've got this vision and, and I'm going to go to this place and, and man, I'm going to be a witness there. Do you know where it starts? In our family, with our neighbours and our friends. It's with our workmates. It's with our school buddies. And I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, I've, I've watched a guy called Richard Forsyth do this. Now, Richard is one of our pastors in our Sydney team, and, and, and he's also got a very strong Oxford Falls location role. Richard works three days a week at Big W, and he's done this for years, as well as being a pastor. This is, this is the Richard Forsyth technique. He goes, Pat, what I do is I pray that God will show me someone. And then God opens my eyes, and I see someone at work that I can be kind to. And then I'm kind to them. And God uses this to reveal himself to them. Uh, he's, he's told me things he's done. He, he has had a prompting from the Holy Spirit to buy one of his workmates coffee, take it into their office. And that just opened the door for conversation. There was one time where he needed to rush off somewhere. He saw one of his workmates downstairs and she couldn't get in her car because there was a huntsman spider in the car. So he just stopped what he was doing and got rid of the huntsman so that she could go. That opened the door for him to talk about Jesus. You, the world doesn't need us to be incredible, just credible. That'll do it. That'll do it. But being filled with the love of Jesus for people. And I found the same thing. All I do is go, God, open my eyes. And he shows me. He shows me someone whose heart is ready to have a chat. And when you, when you do it that way, it's not, the, it's not the dreaded E word, evangelism. It's not the dreaded W word, witnessing. It's just being you, filled with Jesus and enjoying what God brings a, a, across our path every day. Stand up. Appointed. We've been rescued to be sent. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them. Here's something that I think as a believer in Jesus Christ, someone who's a Christ follower, that as the years go by, we can start to forget a little bit 
just what we have been rescued from. Sometimes we can just be doing life and doing stuff and we, we lose sight of the fact that in walking with Jesus and knowing Him, that we, we don't wake up in the morning wondering who we are and why we are on this planet and that is an incredible thing. That we don't wake up being either racked by guilt for the stuff-ups and the bad decisions and the stuff we have done or with a seared conscience because we've tried to cover it all. That we, we don't do life with the oppression of the enemy, uncertainty, fear, anxiety, depression, and all those things because God has set us free, set us free from all these things. And, 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 and I think that sometimes we forget just how big a rescue we have experienced and how big a price was paid for our rescue. Because you see, for you and I to be rescued from a life without Christ, Jesus Christ himself had to die to take the penalty for our sin so we could be connected to our Father in heaven. We've been rescued. When, when we know Jesus, we've been rescued. But we've been rescued to be sent. Rescued to understand that it's our family, friends, fellow workers. You know, if I think about my world, for many years it's been our accountant. That every opportunity I get, I talk to this lady about Jesus, pray for her, invite her to church. When I'm preaching nearby where she lives, I, I say, come and, come and hear me preach. I'll just use, you know, that's a scary thing to say to someone, isn't it? But, but just whatever opportunity. Uh, I surf every Saturday morning. Early in the morning, there's, um, of the crew, there's two plumbers and one uh, marriage reconciliation guy that don't know Jesus. I just invite them to things. If there's problems in the marriage, I buy them a marriage book and give it. There's just, there's just opportunities to show the love of God. I, I'm, I don't feel the pressure of being incredible. I just think I can shine because there's Christ in me. And if I allow Christ in me to shine through me, and if I pray and I see opportunities, extraordinary things will happen. He's calling me to stand up. He's appointed us. We've been rescued. Not just to be a part of the rescued, but to be sent. And fourthly, we're rescued to open people's eyes and turn them to Christ that they might know forgiveness and salvation. In the early 1990s, uh, before I was a pastor, I was a biologist. And so I would, uh, we, we had a consulting uh, uh, biology environmental impact partnership. And, and so I would do endangered species. I would, if someone was doing a development, I would go where they're doing the development and see if there's rare and threatened and endangered things and try and work out how to look after them, right? I, I believe Christians should be probably the best stewards of stuff on the planet because we know the Creator. And, and so I was doing this job at Cornell in Sydney South and, and this guy wanted to do a big industrial development and, and I met with him and I had to do for the next four days and nights, I was doing field work on the site. And in Australia, if you're going to find creatures, you need to go out at night because so many of our creatures are nocturnal. 
And so you've got to go out with the spotlight and look for things and you play owl calls so that if the owl hears another owl in its territory, it hoots back at you. you. So there's all these things you do. And I was being briefed by the guy who owned the site and he said, oh, I just need to let you know that over there in the bush is a hermit. There's a guy who's lived there for 20 years and he's built from scrap his own two-story dwelling in the bush. And I go, okay, note, noted, guy there, hermit. Um, all right. And, and, and after a while I thought, gee, before, before I start playing these owl call tapes in the middle of the night, I better go chat to the guy. Because some owl calls are fairly innocuous. It's just like, you know, that sort of thing. But there's one called a masked owl and it sounds like this. Right? Seriously, sounds like someone's being strangled. And so if I start playing that at night, the guy's going to think there's a murder happening nearby. So I thought, okay, uh, what's the guy's name? Frank, all right, I better go find Frank before I do this stuff. Uh, I heard he had a whole lot of mangy, uh, demented dogs. <laughs> so I got myself a nice big stick and, and I went there and sure enough, these dogs are all, and they got the hair on the back of their neck going up and, and uh, as I got a bit closer through the bush, I could see like this tin shack and double story and got a bit closer and said, uh, Frank, Frank. And I, I see this door open downstairs and this very wary looking guy would have been maybe 60 looking out and uh, he said, oh, Frank, my name's Pat. I, I just wanted to let you know I'm going to be in this area for the next four nights. I'm doing some uh, biological work. And I'll be playing owl calls. You might see my spotlight. Don't worry, it's just me. All is good. Oh, yeah, okay. And uh, so, so I might see you around over the next few days. All right, then. And, and, and off I went. As I'm going, I just think, okay, I've done, done something here that this is cool. I've let him know. Job done. And I felt like the Holy Spirit say, Pat, if you don't tell him about me, who will? Not a Holy Ghost guilt trip, he doesn't do that. But a Holy Ghost, Christ's in you for this. So I walked back, made my way through the dogs again. said, oh, Frank, it's Pat, um, can I come over and have a chat? Oh, yeah? So Frank, this might sound a little bit unusual, but, but I believe that God wants me to tell you that Jesus really loves you and... Would it be okay if I pray for you? Now, I'm having an out-of-body experience because I'm, really, I'm not really good at that sort of stuff, right? So this has got to be the Holy Spirit, right? There's evangelist people that, that are really good at it. I'm not evangelist motivated, but I believe every, every believer is called to do the work of soul winning. And so I'm talking to him, and you see, when you open your eyes to things that the Holy Spirit prepares you for, he doesn't send you to someone who's just going to sick his dogs on you. He sends you to someone whose heart's already ready. And he said, that'd be fine. You can pray for me. I said, okay, I'll just put my hand on your shoulder. And I prayed for him. It might have been the first human touch that this guy's had for 20 years. And as I prayed for him, I just, I just had a little peek. Holy Spirit, what are you doing? So I'm praying for him. And I'm just, I didn't even know what to pray. I just said, Jesus, I pray that you would show Frank that you love him. And I'm 
just had a look and I just see this craggy old face filling with tears. I prayed for him. I said, well, Frank, I'll, I'll, I'll probably drop back in over the next few days and I'll, I'll, I'll get you a Bible. And, and we had a chat for a while about following Jesus. And then I left. And I found out he's from Croatia, so I thought I'm going to get him a Croatian Bible. I went back later that week with a Croatian Bible. He wasn't there, so I left a card, wrote my name on it, wrote in his Bible, left it there. Um, I went back later in the week, still couldn't find him. He was out and about. Uh, I went back a year later when I was doing a follow-up work, couldn't find him, uh, left another note and kind of forgot a little bit about that whole journey. A few years later, I got a call. Guy says, oh, look, my name's Brad. Um, you don't know me, but I saw your card amongst Frank's stuff. And I, I figure he needs some friends at the moment. Um, he's been hit by a motorcycle and he's in a coma. And I'm the only one visiting him from time to time in hospital. And I thought you should know because obviously you're a friend. You've written some stuff to him. I found it in his, in his house. And I just had this sense of, God, what are you up to? What is going on here? This is way beyond me. You're doing something. He said he's in St. George Hospital. So, so that afternoon, I went to St. George Hospital and I found what block and found the ward and went in. The nurses, oh, you're here to visit Frank. Nobody comes to visit Frank. Well, he, he's through this way. And I went into the room and there he is with his eyes closed in his hospital bed. And I just sat down next to him and just believed that, that this is one of those Holy Spirit setups. I'm just going to go with this. So Frank, you may not remember me. My name's Pat. I gave you that Bible. And his eyes opened. And he said, Frank, I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. See, my, my family, my mum's a nurse, sister's a nurse. I, I, I'd heard all these stories about people who had woken from comas and heard everything that had been said. So even though he went like this, he couldn't respond and he wasn't really moving in any way, but I thought, I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. And I said, Frank, you know, uh, when I prayed for you, that time that Jesus would make himself known to you, well, I want you to know something. He really loves you want you to be in a relationship with Him. And right now, if you want to pray this prayer in your heart, you can know Him. You can know the God who created you. And I'm going to pray a prayer. And even if you can't say it with your lips, say it in your heart. And you'll come into a relationship with God. And so I began to pray this prayer. Really simple prayer, Father in heaven. I just gave Him a moment to be able to say it in His heart. Ask Jesus come into my life, forgive me for my sins, I trust my life to you, I prayed this prayer with him, and then when we got to the end, he said, say amen, and I felt like there were angels in this room, like there was a party in heaven, because you see, this is what, more than anything else this is what God is into, that people would know Him. This is, this is the big deal. So we sat for a while and I said a few more things and prayed with Him and then, then I left. And the next day I got word that, that Frank had gone to heaven. 
one of the things I'm looking forward to is that I'm going to see Frank in eternity. And I can tell you today, it's not because Pat is incredible. It's because Jesus is. And when we open our eyes, allowed by the Holy Spirit, we won't see people hardened for the harvest, but ready, ready to know Jesus. And you wake up every day a little bit different when you live it that way.